This is a Punch Riot podcast. This bus doesn't stop at your door. Number five, you are your own toolbox. In this short series of podcasts, we've looked at four successful writers and four essays by those writers whose bodies of work altogether span close to eight decades and several genres, and yet their advice is very similar and consistent with plenty of overlap. First, they all advocate the benefits of being concise or using as few words as necessary and even as few syllables as necessary to achieve whatever the goal is. Generally speaking, in physical terms, a lean, somewhat muscular body is stronger pound for pound than an obese one or an excessively skinny or thin one. In writing, the words we choose should serve a similar purpose as a lean, muscular body. And that purpose, while determined by the kind of writing you're doing, is ultimately to achieve some desired effect on the reader. And to do so, we want our words to be strong, we want them to be lean, and we want our writing to be clear. For some of us, this means we need to simply write fewer words, maybe use fewer adjectives and adverbs, as was suggested by many of our, of our writers in this series, or less description where possible, which is something most, if not all, of the writers also explicitly recommend. Or maybe it means ignoring the thesaurus and substituting simple direct language for long, multisyllabic words or professional jargon. Second, and following close on being concise, is being precise, or using words accurately to convey something specific. In Orwell's essay, he emphasizes using precise language to convey specific ideas and clear thinking as opposed to using words and phrases for their emotional impact to obscure clear thinking or clear reasoning. He's writing mainly about nonfiction, whereas Flannery O'Connor similarly advocated strict control over description so that only necessary details that advance the plot or convey precise action clearly are used. Third, they all address both the purpose for writing, that is, the end product, and the quality of it, as well as the process. Beginning writers and the average college student alike typically approach writing focused solely on the end product. So they dash off a draft and are finished with it as quickly as possible. Or they endlessly rewrite the first paragraph and they delay or abandon completing the project altogether. Or, often, they pay someone to write it for them. What they are failing to do, either out of lack of instruction or mental laziness, is to approach writing as a process that leads to a product. By approaching it as a process, we know we're going to use one set of skills or perform one set of tasks in the creation of whatever it is we're writing and then by looking at it as a product, we're going to use a slightly different set of, well, we're going to look at it from a slightly different perspective as well as use or approach it with a different tool set or skill set or set of tasks in order to improve it and ensure that it's the best that it can be from that perspective as well. 
So first, in looking at this as a process, um, a process that can't be fast-forwarded through if quality is going to be of any concern. Yes, while we all have different skills and abilities and all people who write are not equal, some are simply better than others, just like some are better musicians than others, better at math than others, better with finances than others. But most people who don't have any kind of serious impairments and have a desire to write well can get there if they put their mind to it and their time in. As most people who write professionally know or have learned, getting the words on the page is half the battle because writing is a matter of thinking clearly and then using words to produce clear writing that accurately convey that clear thinking. This rarely if ever occurs spontaneously in one fit of manic inspiration. Although like anything else, the more you do it, the better you should get at it. Getting that first draft on paper or into the word processor forces you to make choices that, to start, simply get whatever you're trying to say out of your head. Trying to do multiple things at once, formulate ideas, write them clearly with good enough composition and flow, and then ultimately avoiding word salad and serious grammar issues so that they can be understood and easily read by the reader is too much to try to accomplish all at once and all in one step which is why approaching it as a process is a must if you want to produce good work. Think about someone throwing a stoneware bowl on a potter's wheel. There's a process there. First, he has to cut off a chunk of clay sized roughly to whatever the final size of the bowl is he wants. Second, he has to center that clay on the spinning wheel. There's some fundamentals of technique there that are required. Third, he has to pull it into its basic final shape. Fourth, he has to let it partially dry until it becomes what they call leather hard, at which, which point he may put it back on the wheel to, to trim it, to smooth it out, to do some very minor shaping or inscribing. Perhaps he's attaching some handles or modifying a spout or making a lid and fitting the lid to the piece. Once he's done that, fifth, he sets the piece aside to finish air drying. And then once it's air dry, the final stages involve often firing the piece twice in a kiln. The first time he fires it is called the bisque fire, which raises the temperature slowly on the piece and slowly hardens it. Once cool, it can then be dipped or decorated with glazes and then it will be fired again at a higher temperature called the glaze firing to bond and fuse the glaze to the piece giving it a non-porous as well as decorative finish. That process can't be subverted. You can't obviously fire it until it's, it's shaped and fairly dry and you can't shape it once it's hardened. So there's a process there that has to be followed and writing is the same way. You can't do everything at once, and it's better to follow a process. It's trickier, though, because working with clay is working with something physical that forces you to follow those steps, and it can't be done any other way. Writing is 
not a physical process for the most part. It's a mental process. And because it's a mental process and everything takes place in your head, it's easy to try to do everything at once, which is why we want to mimic that physical process as much as possible by first getting something out on paper that we can look at, that we can think about, that we can analyze outside of all the other things going on in our, inside of our head and make critical judgments about how well we're doing and what we need to improve. So first we get the ideas and the story out there. A first draft can be produced in one session or it may take multiple sessions depending on the length of the work. At this point we don't worry about the low-level details like spelling, punctuation, mechanics, or grammar. It's a big enough job just to get something meaningful or interesting on paper so we focus on that. Next, once a first draft or first version is finished we're still going to ignore those low-level details and focus on clarifying the ideas or the story. Maybe we're going to move sentences or even entire paragraphs around. Maybe we have to further develop a character or further explain a concept or word that the audience may not be familiar with. And also improve the structure, flow, readability, strengthen how we build an argument improve how we tell the story. And this may take one pass or this may take many passes. Once we're finished with that stage, once the story, essay, or argument is complete and that the content is there like we want it, then our next passes are to tighten up sentences and paragraphs, consider our word choices and such, and generally verify it's as effective or as strong an argument or story or as good as we can make it, as good as it can be. And then finally, once we're satisfied with the story, we're satisfied that everything is there, we address the low-level details like grammar and mechanics, punctuation and spelling. And this is the point where we're really just looking at it as a product. We're at the end of the process or we're making the transition to either submit this to a publisher, to publish it ourselves, to post it on the internet, whatever we're going to do with it. The switching mental gears from considering this from our own perspective as the creator. Have I said what I want to say here? Have I said it as effectively as possible? Does this hit, you know, does this hit all the points it needs to hit? Does it tell the story as best I can? To the perspective of the reader or audience, and try to look at it more objectively as a product or as something you know a third party is going to come and read and judge. Does it make sense to people who aren't me? Does it read well? Does it flow like it should? Are there a lot of awkward constructions and word salad that fight against the readers easily picking up what it is I'm putting down? And it's important to spend time focusing mainly on the big picture items initially because that involves thinking or analyzing and we're looking at that in a way that's completely different from worrying about spelling and punctuation and grammar. But in the end those things do matter and when those issues start stacking up and it's usually a lot of minor issues that are stacking up, 
it can be frustrating for the reader and the last thing you want for him to do is quit reading your poem or story or article or book. And some might say, ah, but he already bought it, so does it really matter? And to which I say, well, yeah, and if those are serious problems, he may have bought it once, but he's not going to buy another one from you if he's frustrated. So one little issue here or there is no big deal. One or two per page, however, they start adding up and testing the reader's patience. The point isn't to produce something grammatically perfect. The point is to know your grammar well enough so that it's easy to see confusing word salad and know how best to fix it. The purpose of grammar is to serve the writing and not the other way around. Finally, working with a good editor either from the story, concept, structure level, or at least the sentence, paragraph, grammar, and mechanics level ensures you have someone competent who you trust to give critical feedback that can strengthen your work, whether it's a story or an argument, or who can correct those sentence level issues that you'd rather just not worried about. And a lot of people, once they finish writing a big work, the last thing they want to have to do is pour back through it and worry over every little area that might need some fine tuning, which is why a good editor uh, can really help. Now, yeah, I'm a freelance editor working mainly with self-published and indie authors, so I do have a dog in that fight, but it's also the truth. If it didn't matter, Stephen King and Ernest Hemingway and Chuck Palahniuk would have editors at the last line of defense between themselves and their, and their audiences, but they do, and they do for a reason. As with food, the final test is, does it work? Do people get your best from it? Does it taste good? You know, I've heard some people like mayonnaise on their french fries. I think that's insane and disgusting, but it happens, and more power to the people who enjoy that. If they're happy with it, good for them. As Stephen King and David Mamet both pointed out, find your audience, write for your audience, so that you can be successful. Or in King's words, be talented and don't be untalented. I hope you've gotten something out of this series, not from me so much as from the writers and essays and the advice contained within themselves. In the words of the late, great Jim Harrison, you don't plow a field by turning it over in your mind. You actually have to get out and put the metal into the dirt. And by that token, the benefit here is in reading and learning from the authors we've discussed and using whatever they have to offer that you need to hear in your work so that you can put the metal into the dirt, so to speak, and then find competent sources to give you critical feedback. This has been a Punch Riot podcast series, the first of what I hope are many more to come on a variety of topics. We also currently publish the Punch Riot magazine on a bi-weekly basis, and it is currently available by subscription, and there's more info on that over at punchriot.com. The Punch Riot magazine is a literary rag with a classically masculine vibe, but a lot of women like it too. By subscribing to Punch Riot, you support independent writers who entertain and inform and create without regard to political correctness or social justice power plays. Punch Riot is run with very low overhead, so we always pay the writers first. The more subscribers we have, the more we can pay our writers and hopefully attract new writers who want to work with us. We appreciate you listening. Let us hear back from you by email at 
punchriot at gmail.com.